Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. numbers i'm your host ryan blackburn at nba blackburn on twitter it is tuesday morning as i get you into this week where there really hasn't been much to talk about over the last several days Uh, as everybody knows the covid19 coronavirus has really changed everybody's perception on the nba changed everybody's perception in real life without the nba in season uh, without a lot of action, without a lot of sports going on, things have been really weird. Uh, basically, everybody is self-quarantining at this point. There are some gatherings going on, but most governments in the United States and even around the world are starting to shut those down. Everybody's by themselves. Everybody is facing this global pandemic together. And it's a really weird experience. It's been a really weird time trying to cover sports. Because the sports just aren't happening, whether you're in uh, basketball or baseball or hockey. I know that the start of free agency in football really got kicked off over the course of today. But it's just different. It's just that's doesn't involve any actual playing. And you can talk about free agency all you want, and that's important. And NBA fans would certainly be very happy to talk about free agency and trades and things of that nature at this time, but the NBA calendar is in a very weird place because right now we were supposed to be gearing up for the playoffs, and instead, everybody kind of has to pivot. Nobody really knows what's going on, but Adrian Wojnarowski over the weekend had a post that said that NBA teams and owners and general managers and personnel were gearing up for a possible hiatus for over three months, where a June return or even a July return was possibly the most likely outcome. That's pretty scary. If you're an NBA fan, if you're an NBA writer like me, I manage a site that covers the NBA, that covers the Denver Nuggets. And if there's not a lot to talk about with the Nuggets, it's a little weird. It's a little scary. So we're going to do the best that we can at Denver Stiffs. And I'm going to do the best that I can here at Nuggets Numbers. What I'm going to do for the next several weeks is do individual player breakdowns for for this Nuggets team, give you my thoughts on each player that I talk about on the roster, what their biggest strengths and weaknesses are at this point, uh, where they currently are in terms of NBA standing, where uh, what their playoff viability is, uh, how, how well does their game translate to the playoffs going forward, because that's a conversation I think that has to happen, especially for this Nuggets team. And then just where I think this player is with the Nuggets going forward and how they fit in. 
Uh, I asked you to vote on Twitter who I should break down, and the first answer was Jamal Murray. And I'm not really surprised about that. Jamal is a very polarizing player. Uh, Very solid, of course. I spent some time talking about him on last week's podcast, so... If you're interested in hearing a little bit of extra stuff stuff about Jamal and about Nikola Jokic, then then take a listen to the last week's Nuggets numbers. But right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through those things that I just said, his raw numbers, his strengths and weaknesses at this point, uh, where he looks like from a league-wide standpoint, what his playoff viability is. And I'm going to try and do this for all of these players over the course of the next several weeks. Hopefully it can help us get through the the time together. And so we're going to see how that goes. But without further ado, here are Jamal Murray's raw numbers. Okay, hopping into the raw numbers section, uh, biggest strengths and weaknesses. And I'm attaching league ranks for starting point guards to the end of each of, these, of, of this list. So let's go through it. Uh, Jamal Murray, his points per game uh, is 18.8 points per game. That ranks 10th among starting point guards. Some of those guys are a little bit tough to quantify, like D'Angelo Russell, for example. I counted him as a shooting guard, and I'm counting Steph Curry as the point guard for the Warriors. And so Steph was above him in points per game, so Jamal Murray falls to 10th. Uh, in assists, he's at 4.8 per game. That's 18th in the NBA or among starting point guards. Rebounds at 3.9 per game, 18th among starting point guards. Steals at 1.2 per game, 10th among starting point guards. His two-point two percentage is 12th. His three-point percentage is 15th. His, his free-throw percentage is 5th, and his true shooting percentage is 12th. So let's stop there. Let's talk about each of those a little bit. At no point except for free-throw percentage did I give a single-digit number in terms of his ability to... Uh, lead the NBA in a certain statistic. Now, free throw percentage, he's one of the best, and that's that's a great thing. That's a good thing, especially in a playoff setting when the game slows down and you need people to do their jobs and hit their shots. However, Murray isn't going to blow anybody away with his numbers. He's doesn't average the most points. He doesn't average the most assists. Doesn't average the most rebounds. He's not the most productive player, and to be honest, his efficiency is lower than I thought it would or hoped it would be at this point. His his average in terms of three point percentage, uh, true shooting percentage is just above average, and you want to see that from a guy like Murray. But you also need to be in a position that if he's not super productive, then you'd want him to be super efficient. He's not really either. He's kind of middling or just slightly above average in everything. So keep that in mind. Let's talk about his shooting breakdown, his shooting profile. Among the shots that he takes at the rim, uh, 24% of his total field goal attempts or possessions are at the rim. That's below average. Uh, In the short mid-range, so basically floater zone, whenever he can't get all the way to the rim and has to kind of chuck up a a short floater or jumper, uh, he's at 18% of his shots there. That's average. That's, That's, in terms of his position, that's about the number that most players do. In terms of long mid-range shots, he attempts 24 of his, 24% of his shots from long mid-range. That's the the step-back jumpers coming off of screens, anything that's basically outside the free-throw line. Um, 
or or maybe like right on the free throw line, maybe just inside of it. Uh, he takes a ton of those shots. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just the way his DNA is. He is a he's definitely an off the dribble scorer, and that's where he's most comfortable. He gets to his spots. He takes step backs. Some of those shots are difficult, but he makes them at a relatively solid rate. Uh, only two elite guards are higher than him in terms of his free in terms of his frequency from that distance: Demar Derozan and Chris Paul. Now, Derozan has made a career out of this. He has been one of the best uh, in terms of creating mid-range shots and making them efficiently, but. That has also put a ceiling on his game. It's also put a cap on the amount of impact that he can make because those shots just aren't as valuable. And if he makes those shots, then great, but those are shots that defenses are going to live with. And for good reason. It's proven that in order to be a really good offense, in order to make it deep into the playoffs, you have to prioritize hitting threes, getting to the rim, getting to the foul line. Those are important pieces. And if you have a player who can get to those other spots and make them at a solid rate, then great. That's definitely something that you you want. You want somebody who can hit shots, especially when defenses really lock in. But the problem that you run into is that if that just becomes your game, then it limits your ceiling. Uh, that's one of the things that limited the Toronto Raptors. Uh, DeMar DeRozan wasn't ever going to be a three-point shooter. He wasn't ever going to space it out to that distance. All they had to do was exchange him for Kawhi Leonard, who made those shots at a, at a higher rate, at a better rate. And then he also took threes and was comfortable taking those shots. That team had a really good shot profile. They took a ton of threes. They got to the rim when they had to. They, they did take some mid-range shots, but they made them at an efficient rate, and they won a championship last year because of it. The Golden State Warriors last year, they took a ton of mid-range shots, and they made them at a great rate. They made shots at an excellent rate from every spot because they had a ton of talent. If you have a bunch of talent, then sometimes it doesn't necessarily matter, but to make it easier on yourself, you should play the math game. Murray's game is not tailored to that. It's just not who he is as a scorer. I don't know if he's ever going to be that kind of player. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But on those long twos, he's in the seven, in the 70th percentile in terms of efficiency. That's good. And he's a good mid-range shooter. It's probably not good enough. And especially if he's taking those in high volume. There are other players who can and should take those shots. Murray's right on the borderline. He's right, like, if he could just be a little bit better and a little bit more efficient, then he should be taking those shots. But right now, it's it's middling. It's, it's right on the cusp. Um, and then only 34% of his shots are from three-point range. That's below average for a guard, especially in his position where he has the ball in his hands a lot. He has to be able to take those threes. That's just one of the things that Denver needs in order to space the floor. It's one of the reasons why they struggled this year at times was because Jamal Murray wasn't really setting a good example in terms of spacing the floor. When he only takes two threes or, or three threes or he goes 0 of 2 from the, from the three-point line, that's not something that the team can really make up because 
the rest of the roster doesn't take a ton of efficient shots either. So Murray has to be the guy who really sets that example, who really makes the game go the way that they need to. And that's why this last stretch over the the last 15 games or so before this cancellation was so encouraging from him. He started changing that that profile. Like his uh his breakdown for mid-range shots was actually even stronger before. He started taking more threes. He was making them at a higher clip and he looked like a completely different player because of it. So Moving on to the advanced metrics, and that'll be the last thing before we go to break. Uh, His player impact plus minus, which can be found on B-Ball Index, is 11th among starting point guards. His real plus minus among starting point guards is 16th. His box plus minus among starting point guards is 15th. That 11 to 16 range is really popping up, and that's probably where most people would have him in terms of the, the starting point guard standing. So, When we come back, we will get into that a little bit more. I think that needs to be fleshed out a little bit just because he has some growth. He has some things that he has to work on. And his impact and his his standing around the NBA kind of is tied to that. We'll be right back. Alright, we're back at Nuggets Numbers, doing player breakdowns, starting with Jamal Murray. What the numbers say about Murray's league-wide standing, as I alluded to in the first segment, was that he's bored, like he's good, he's a above-average starting point guard, but I think there are definitely some point guards in this league that are definitively better that have proven that they have more value to their teams. Uh, Whether that's because of the way Denver plays and he doesn't have a ton of extra time with the ball in his hands, whether that's because he's just, he has some deficiencies, I don't know. There are some things that I think you could say some about both of those. So some of the point guards that are definitively better, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook, Ben Simmons, Kyle Lowry, CP3, Kemba Walker, Trey Young. That's nine guys right there. And maybe you could put Jamal Murray at 10th and you'd put him over guys like John Morant and D'Angelo Russell, De'Aaron Fox, uh, players of that nature. But I think it's, it's pretty consensus that he's not in that top tier. He's not really close to that top tier either. Um, that Steph and Kyrie and, and Lillard and Westbrook level, uh, there are definitely tiers to that, of course, but those are bona fide all-stars. And all of those guys above made the all-star game, except for Kyrie Irving, and that's more because of the the uh, the injury than anything else. Overall, in terms of the impact metrics, he's at 53rd in box plus minus among all players. 55th in player impact plus minus and 125th in real plus minus. So take that RPM number with a grain of salt because I think they have, they've really undersold the Nuggets as a whole. Uh, 
outside of Nikola Jokic. So take that with a grain of salt, of course. But basically what these numbers are saying and, and where where I think people can fairly have him is he's about the 50th best regular season player. Maybe you could round that up to 40. Maybe you could drop it down to 60 in some cases, but I think it's fair to have him in that 40 to 60 range. He's not quite an all-star, not quite at that level, and he was showing some really great signs right before that, but the fact is, is he went into a really strong lull from about December to mid-January when he rolled his ankle. He had some moments but the overall product wasn't perfect. It wasn't it wasn't what I think Nuggets fans really wanted, what they wanted to see. So but those numbers are one thing and they're regular season based. What Nuggets fans have to understand and appreciate and NBA fans too is that Murray's game, it translates pretty well in the playoffs. He's generally better. He's going like one of the reasons why I was so unhappy about the the suspension of the season was because I think Murray had a lot to prove. He had a lot of mistakes that he had made or he didn't show up in certain situations that I think he'd want to have back. And he's a year older and has another year of experience. And I think he would be really, really good this time around in the playoffs and to the point where Teams like the Clippers would have to put Kawhi Leonard on him for 48 minutes. Or the Lakers would have to double him in certain situations when he's not working with Nikola Jokic. Um, That's an important piece of this. He plays mostly a mistake-free brand of basketball, and we saw that in the playoffs last year. He had just he had more than two turnovers in three of the 14 playoff games. So he did a really good job that even though he wasn't the most efficient shooter, he minimized his mistakes. And that's something that from a 22-year-old, you don't really see that very often. It was a very impressive thing what he did. Uh, Guys like Donovan Mitchell and D'Angelo Russell and players of that nature who first had their taste of the playoffs, they struggled. They were bad. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty confident in saying that even though his shot profile isn't the most efficient, his ability to create those shots is important because those are the shots defenses are willing to give up, and a lot of the players that attempt a lot of those shots are playoff caliber players, are all stars. So 28 players this season attempted 200 shots from in between 10 and 22 feet. So that's basically right inside the free throw line or the three-point line at 22 feet all the way up to about the 10-foot mark where anywhere closer to that and it's it's a little bit easier but other than that it's mostly mid-range jumpers or floaters or things of that nature. 11 of the 28 players were all-stars. Of the 17 who weren't, Jamal Murray was one of them. Uh, but guys like Bradley Beal, DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge, CJ McCollum, D'Angelo Russell, Devin Booker, guys who are or will be all-star caliber players or were all-star caliber players. So it's a situation, I think, where a lot of the shots that he's taking are going to help him be a better player. They're going to help him figure out how to navigate some of those tough playoff scenarios 
when teams are running him off the three-point line, when a big like Rudy Gobert is sagging into the paint and he has to pull up for a jumper. Uh, Murray's field goal percentage in those situations is 11th out of 28. He's above average. He's behind six All-Stars, as well as C.J. McCollum, T.J. Warren, Marcus Morris, and D'Angelo Russell. So a couple of those guys are not necessarily All-Star players, but think of T.J. Warren as like the DeMar DeRozan of the forward position, and Marcus Morris is just having an had an outrageous year in New York. So those guys are good. Like they're they're good players. And his ability to make those shots at a pretty efficient level is very impressive. It's on the level of like a Kawhi Leonard this year or a Devin Booker. That's something that's very important. And important players hit those shots. Murray has to do that as efficiently as possible if he's going to take them though. Uh, Because there is a certain threshold, like I talked about, that if you take them, you have to make them at a certain level for offenses to be comfortable with that shot, for Michael Malone to be comfortable. Uh, for Because if, if you simply gave the ball to Nikola Jokic and asked him to do something, or played a DHO with Gary Harris, or posted up Paul Millsap, then some of those offensive plays might be more efficient than a standard Jamal Murray step-back two. Or if he can get it to the level where that's a really efficient shot for him, then more power to him, and that'll help the Nuggets go deep in the playoffs for sure. Um, Murray's problem, though, is not going to be with the mid-range game. It's going to be with the three-point shot because it comes and it goes. Sometimes he's hitting them, sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's taking them, and sometimes he's not. He has to be able to take those shots. That's just the NBA that we currently live in, or maybe did live in and not necessarily now, but Murray shot 33% from the playoffs last year, and I looked back on some of the shots that he missed in Game 6 and Game 7 of the Portland game, of the Portland series. There were a lot of wide-open shots. There were a lot of situations where he could have made them, and he only made, I think, one total. So, that's a really tough situation, and if he hits a couple, then maybe the Nuggets are in the Western Conference Finals. If he hits 38% from three in the playoffs as opposed to 33% from three, I think people think a lot differently about him overall. Uh, 33% is middling. It's even slightly below average in those situations, but 38%, 40%, 42%, you're getting into some pretty impressive territory there and game-changing territory. However, his three-point shot has trended down in each of the last three regular seasons. His second year, he was at 37.8%. His third year, he was 36.7%. This year, he was at 34.5%. That's a it's a really tough trend. Uh, dropping 3.5%, basically, from his second to his fourth year. The primary reason for that, in my opinion was his role. His role has grown, and back in his second season, most of his jump shots were catch and shoot, where he was either running off of screens, or he was just spotting up on the wing or on the corners. Uh, Now, most of his threes are pull-up jumpers. So, in his second season, 42% of his threes were pull-up jumpers. That has jumped up to 57% of his threes now. That's basically reversed. 
and pull-up jumpers are just going to be more inefficient than catch-and-shoot threes. Uh, Murray hits those at a decent clip. It's not great, but it's not it's not awful. Um, but in order to be a top-tier player, he probably has to up that a little bit. He's going to be forced to take tough shots, and that's just the nature of being somebody who gets a lot of attention, is he's going to have to take some off-dribble threes that are uncomfortable, and he has to make the most of them. If he can hit 35% of those shots as opposed to 31, then his three-point percentage jumps up to like 37%, 38%. That's a big deal, because most of the time when he's in, when he's been a catch-and-shoot guy, in his second season, he shot 42%, and in each of the last two seasons, he shot 39%. So the pull-up jumpers are the things that are dragging him down. And those are kind of a means to an end because good pull-up shooters aren't necessarily going to have great three-point percentages, but guys like Luka Doncic and James Harden and Trey Young, even though they don't have elite three-point percentages, the threat of them shooting is so much more important than them actually making the shot. Because they've proven that they will take those and can make them, it drags people away from the paint. If Murray proves that he can take them and will take them, that could change the calculus for this Nuggets team. Denver can't be a championship contender if Murray shoots under 35% from three. If he's going to be the lead option or one of the two lead options on this team... That just can't happen. The Nuggets aren't going to score enough points. They, they just don't. Unless their their supporting cast is so good that they make collective 40% of their threes and make up the difference, then it's just not going to be good enough. So a good example of this, I think, is Kyle Lowry. He was a second or third banana this past year in Toronto. Only shot 36% from three on six attempts per game in the playoffs. But there are, that was over 24 games. He hit three threes on three separate occasions in the finals last year, including in game six in the, in the, in the deciding game. That was a really important time. And sometimes that's good enough. He hit two plus threes in 17 of his 24 playoff games. Murray had two plus in nine of his 14. So a, a similar ratio, not quite as good, but pretty good. Uh, but in two of the games that he didn't, they were both game sevens. That was game seven against San Antonio and game seven against Portland. If he hits a three, if he hits two threes, then maybe those games turn out different. Maybe the Nuggets win Game 7 against San Antonio walking away as opposed to a mid-range shot that Murray had to have some heroics on. Maybe they actually win Game 7 against the Portland Trailblazers. These are the points that people need to remember. Things just get easier for the Nuggets if Murray starts hitting those shots. If he's If he's hitting his open threes or he's making a higher percentage of those contested threes, then things are going to be so much easier for this Nuggets team. It's going to be a lot cleaner. Uh, Jokic is going to have a little bit less pressure on him until like the conference finals and the NBA finals, and at that point, do you really care? Um, but guys like Gary Harris are going to be more wide open. Uh, Jeremy Grant, hell, even Michael Porter Jr. going forward. Those guys are going to be in situations where 
if Murray continues to hit those contested shots, it could make their open shots a lot more frequent. So I think people have to remember that Murray was 22 in the playoffs last year. He's 23 this year. Kyle Lowry, as the example that I just gave, he was 33. That's more than a decade of extra experience, and sometimes these things take time. Now, the Nuggets are on the clock. Murray just signed a max contract, and his first year of that deal will be next NBA season. So we'll see how that goes, but people have put a lot of pressure on Jamal Murray overall. And it's warranted, because if they have championship aspirations, then they need to treat him like a championship-caliber player. If he's not meeting those expectations, that's a big deal. But he hasn't had the opportunity to prove himself yet in his second-ever playoffs, so I give him a pass for not looking as great in the regular season. All year, he's been saying that the playoffs are what they're working towards. They don't necessarily overlook teams, but they know that there's a bigger goal in mind. He knows there's a bigger goal in mind. That's one of the reasons that he sat out 10 games with his ankle sprain. He probably would have sat out four last year, and that would have been a bad thing. But I am looking forward to seeing what Murray can do, and we will talk about more of that when we come back. So, the Nuggets paid Murray, not because of his defense, not because of his passing. They paid him a max contract because of his scoring and his leadership potential. He's wired the right way. He wants to be a killer. He wants to be somebody who can excel in a playoff setting. And that really counterbalances Nikola Jokic, for example, who can really turn it on in certain instances, but he's only one guy. And he had a historical playoff run last year, and it still wasn't enough to get past the Portland Trailblazers. The Nuggets needed more. They needed a guy who they thought could step up and give them 25 at any given point. They think that Murray can be that guy. They're going to ask him to score. And I think it's fair to evaluate how effective he's going to be as a scorer because that's what he's going to be paid to do. They paid him like a top two player on a championship team. They'll need him to be more consistent. They'll need his performances to be a little bit better. Last week, I talked about how his performances are a little bit more consistent, and even though the numbers aren't perfect, his numbers have actually been pretty good overall. Uh, they've been more consistent overall in the regular season, and we just it's tough that we don't have this data point for the playoffs because I think that changes a lot of his perception and his and his perceived value within the Nuggets team like exceptionally. So the fact that he's doing all of this at a young age it should be really encouraging though. Like people don't really like they they keep passing over the fact that he's 23. He's younger than I am, like literally. Um and I'm I'm 23 too. So the players in NBA history to average 15 points per game, 55% true shooting on over 8,000 minutes in their first four seasons. There's a lot of great players on that list. The most recent names to go on there are Murray, Buddy Heald, Nikola Jokic, Carl Towns, Devin Booker, 
Anthony Davis, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving. So that's basically a who's who of the the top young players to come up in the NBA this year, or over the past few years, and exclude Buddy Heald from that list if you want, but it's a good list to be on. It's a it's a list that says the Nuggets trusted him to be effective from a young age, and he delivered. However, the, I think it's fair that Murray still has a ways to go with his growth, and in Denver's system, with Jokic as a facilitator, with the way that Denver operates their system overall, I doubt that Murray is ever going to average 25 points per game. Now, maybe he can. Maybe Denver does the thing where they continue staggering their lineups and several of Murray's minutes per game are with the bench unit when Nikola Jokic isn't out there. If half of his minutes are there and half of them are with Jokic, then maybe he can just continue to develop as a scorer and he's the guy that they consistently go to on a, on a regular basis. Uh, if he can handle that load and if he does so efficiently, then that changes the calculus for this Nuggets team. But if Murray can't hit that sweet spot where he's up over 40% from three or he's up over 20 points per game, I think Denver may feel like they need to go get another guy, another top guy. And that could be a second option on a championship team. That could be an overqualified third option. But Denver clearly needs their scoring to remain elite as a contender. With with Jokic out there, he's going to he's an offensive superstar. He's the guy who you run your offense through, can make things work, but he needs other guys who can carry the production in the playoffs. And Murray just may not be it in terms of those guys. Now <coughs> excuse me. Denver didn't have a good version of Will Barton last year, and maybe that changes this year if they ever get back to a playoffs. Maybe it's Michael Porter Jr. Maybe he's the guy who really fits in there. Um, There's a fair question, I think, of how well Murray will fit with another one of those guys because Denver's current identity, I would say, is they try to share the ball for as long as they can, but when things come down to it in fourth quarters of regular season games or or in uh, in the playoffs, it's the Murray-Jokic two-man game. And that's a good thing to be able to go, go to, and they do it pretty consistently. And those guys have developed some great chemistry, uh, some great ability to hit each other in the spots that they need to. And if they get a switch, then both guys can attack switches. Uh, they can go straight up, and both guys are comfortable hitting mid-range shots. Murray can get all the way to the rim at points. So can Jokic. It's a good thing to go to. But, as we've seen over the last couple of years, teams have started switching lengthier and better defenders onto Jamal Murray. What happens if Kawhi Leonard guards him for a significant period of time? What happens if, I don't know, uh, DeJounte Murray of the Spurs gets traded to a team like... uh, the Portland Trailblazers, and he's playing next to Damian Lillard, and his job is to guard Murray for the entire time. He's got length, he's got size, he's got athleticism. Uh, there are other guys. OG Ananobi was a guy who just came through Denver, and when he was switched on to Murray, it made Murray's life hell. 
Murray can struggle with those big guys that are basically the size of forwards. If he can't get past them, he doesn't have the capability necessarily to shoot over them yet. Uh, He can't go through them. He's not strong enough. And that's just the way the Denver system is. And that's going to put a wrench in their plans. So if they run into those situations where the two-man game doesn't work, they're going to need another option. Michael Porter Jr. could be that guy. Michael Porter Jr. could be the the third piece. Maybe it's a guy who's not on the roster. Maybe it's Will Barton. I don't know. Um, but can Murray fit with that player? Uh, can he be effective? Can he be happy? Can Denver have three guys that have a lot of opportunities and then Will Barton and Jeremy Grant on the same starting five? I mean, all five guys would be capable in that case, and they would deserve touches and need those, but it might be more healthy for Denver to increase the volume of those three guys. Let's say it's Murray, Porter, and Jokic right now. Maybe they increase the volume for those three guys, and then the other two guys that they get are low-volume players. Maybe it's uh, Gary Harris, and he kind of steps into a fourth or fifth option role, and it's uh, a random power forward, we'll call or another wing. Maybe it is Jeremy Grant, and he just takes a step back offensively, but you'll just have to see, and I think it's a fair question to ask, and whether Denver can defend enough in those situations. I believe in Murray, though. I I do think, and I have been consistently on this, that when he's challenged, when he rises to the occasion, it takes him a little bit of time, but more often than not, he gets the job done. I think it killed him that he shot 4 of 18 from the field, against the Blazers in the final game of his of his year last year. That's a tough way to go out. And a lot of the shots that he hit, or a lot of the shots that he missed were open. Shots that he normally hits. So maybe it's in a situation that if he gets it to be a year older and he hits four more of those shots and goes 8 of 18, then Denver wins. I mean, they would have won in that situation. So... But I think he can do that. I think he's going to look a lot better at 25 years old or even 27 years old than he does at 23. His role is super complex. Uh, He's not a normal primary ball handler who just controls the offense, who runs it like James Harden or Trey Young. And those guys are extremely talented, don't get me wrong. But when it's simplified to just straight up pick and roll, straight up isolation, to go to the weak side or the strong side and you're operating in the pick and roll and you're so good uh, or you have so many opportunities that you can just shoot 35%, go 25 and 7 and you're good. You look a lot better than maybe you are. And I think Murray could excel in that system too. Um, But in Denver's system, his role is very complex. He has to be the primary ball handler at times and he has to be the scorer and the facilitator and the shooter and when he's running the DHO game or the, the two-man weave, basically, sometimes he has to be on ball, off ball. He's setting screens for Jokic, which is weird. Like, it, it's just, it's something that he's had to grow into. While Jokic continues to bend space and time, Murray has to be the guy who reads all of those plays, who has to understand what exactly Jokic is doing. Those two have to be in sync. Maybe it just takes a little bit of extra time. Maybe once it firmly clicks with those guys, then they look like the next star duo. Maybe they look like Kobe and Shaq. 
maybe it's not quite that, but maybe they look like Tony Parker and Tim Duncan or something like that. That would be pretty good. Then Denver just needs to find their Manu. And if they can do that, then who knows? But I continue to be high on him. The Nuggets don't need him to be a top five point guard, although it, w- it wouldn't hurt, of course, but he'll have to compete with guys like Trey Young, John Morant, Ben Simmons, Russell, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, De'Aaron Fox, and there are others who are not in the league right now who are going to come into the league, and they could outstrip Murray as well. Now, if Murray could outdo those guys, if he could rise to the level of an all-star caliber player, if he could continue to provide value where he's at 20 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 40% from 3, that player is an all-star. That player is good enough to be the second best option on a championship team, especially in a system like Denver's. Can he get there? I think he can. Time will tell, though, and we'll see if people are unhappy with him being on a max contract going forward and he's not averaging 25 That's just not the kind of player that I think he's going to turn into. And it's not all his fault, because I think he could average 25 if he was just given the opportunity to do so. But he has to share the ball. He has a larger goal in mind. And the Nuggets aren't going to win a championship unless they have a player who's capable, like him, of doing the things that he can. So I'm in his corner. I think he's going to be great. I think he has another level to go, and people shouldn't be super frustrated that he only shot 34% from three this year. He still has the capability to break out. He's still just 23 years old. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Make sure to tune in next week. I will ask again on Twitter who you guys want me to evaluate. If you're interested in this format, if you like this format, then let me know if there's something that you want me to change, then let me know that too. Uh, very open and willing to cater to the audience during this time because we're going to go through this together and there's going to be a lot of time to fill. So if I miss something, if you want me to talk about different things, then let me know and we'll see how it goes. Thanks so much for tuning in. I will see you guys next week.